the law is in us by nature, and yes. it's in all of us, Jew and Gentile by nature. Yes. But the gospel is an announcement. It is not in anybody by nature. You don't right. know it in your conscience. You don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, by the way, do you know the gospel? And they just, by nature, have always known the gospel. What is the gospel? That's the question we're taking up on this edition of The White Horse Inn. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Five centuries ago, in taverns and public houses across Europe, the masses would gather for discussion and debate over the latest ideas sweeping the land. From one such meeting place, a small Cambridge inn called the White Horse, the Reformation came to the English-speaking world. Carrying on the tradition of the early reformers, welcome to the White Horse Inn. Hello and welcome to another edition of the White Horse Inn. Uh, you know, the Great Commission begins with a mandate to proclaim the gospel to all nations. And that's our focus this whole year, the Great Commission. And as we've seen over the past few weeks, early on in his ministry, Jesus clearly defined the content and scope of that gospel. We're living at a time when lots of Christians are debating the question, what is the gospel? The term evangelical itself comes from the Greek word for gospel. Evangelicals are those who believe and proclaim the gospel. The Protestant reformers and their heirs called themselves evangelicals for that reason. They were recovering the gospel at a time when much of Christendom was utterly confused about its meaning. And yet, this confusion over the very definition of the gospel itself is evident in evangelical circles now. Is the gospel inviting Jesus into your heart? Well, there's no text in Scripture indicating that this was ever included in the teaching of Jesus or the apostles. After all, Jesus is ascended to the right hand of the Father. Is the gospel an invitation to a personal relationship with God? Mm, well, everybody has a personal relationship with God already. The real question in Scripture is whether they're related to God as judge or as a father through the mediation of Christ as Son. How about making Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? No text for that one either. In fact, just the opposite. It's because he is the Lord and Savior of the world that any of us can be justified and adopted into God's family. Others say the gospel's how to be born again, as if it were a series of steps for us to perform in order to save ourselves with God's help. Still others think the gospel's going to heaven when you die. While it's certainly true and a great assurance that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, our ultimate hope is not disembodied existence, but the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. A growing number of evangelicals agree that these are inadequate definitions of the gospel, but their concern is that these definitions focus too much on the vertical relationship between God and the individual, and not enough on the kingdom of God as a force for transformation in relationships between human beings. The gospel for them is a call to participate in Christ's ongoing work of reconciling people to each other and building a just and loving society. But none of these definitions really arise from the biblical story. The first set of definitions revolve around my inner subjectivity rather than the objective historical events that accomplished our redemption. And then the second set of definitions revolve around my loving service to my neighbor, which is certainly commanded in the law but can hardly be considered the gospel. Inner experience or outward works, that's the choice that many Christians are given each week in church, 
But is that really the good news? In this program, we'll address that most important question. What is the gospel? If the whole mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations by proclaiming that, then we better be sure about what the gospel itself actually is. And that's our topic in this edition of the White Horse Inn with Rod Rosenblatt, Kim Riddlebarger, Ken Jones, and I'm Mike Horton. Gentlemen, how how diversely is the gospel defined in our day? Oh, it can be anything you yeah. wish it to be. Yeah. What are some of the examples of message creep? Well, message creep here is the thing we've been harping on the last few weeks, and that is the shift from the objective work of Christ yes. to the subjective feelings or doing or well-being of the person who's supposed to believe the gospel. So the focus has gone from what Jesus did to what I do, feel, or experience. Yeah, it's everything from uh, personal uh, subjective transformation to uh, a moral improvement or social justice. Uh, it's, it's any number of things that we, were, we would perceive as improvement, improvement over what we were, improvement over the way things are, and, and that becomes the gospel. William Willimon, uh, United Methodist Bishop, says that uh, he actually stands on the side of the Calvinist critics of Charles Finney, his critics who, who said that actually God and his gospel were more important than the hearers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm. that actually it was in the hearer's best interest to not get what they want, mm. but to to get something better yeah. than they exactly. ever could have constructed exactly. for themselves. Right. And he says, I have to admit, most of what I learned in seminary, instead of pulling me out of my subjectivity, was an attempt to drag me deeper into it. Yeah. Yeah. And he says, it just the gospel is strange, it's surprising, it calls us out of ourselves to not think about us and what we want and what our felt needs are, what our hopes and dreams are, but to rivet our attention on a problem we didn't know we had yes. and a solution that mm -hmm. we weren't even prepared to consider. Right. And, yeah. so, Good on him. and so little of what passes for Christianity these days even addresses that matter. Yeah. Yeah. It's always about me. There's something that mm -hmm. I need to know, do, mm -hmm. feel, experience, mm -hmm. and the church supposedly has that for me. Right. That's an important point, isn't it? That so many of the definitions of the gospel that vary from the apostolic preaching of the New Testament tend to turn the gospel into law. Something like loving your neighbor doing social good, you know, doing good within the community. To call that the gospel, again, mm -hmm. it's, it's taking law. That is the, the, the second table of the law, sure. uh, and it's not gospel. And, and uh, many people assume that either it's doing for self or others, that is the gospel. Yeah. And boy, the, that just confuses the categories. The lack of precision with the use of the word gospel in this culture, especially the, the Christian culture, is just frightening. Yeah. Yes. Because gospel can be used as a synonym for the Christian faith, like the faith. We can speak of yes. the gospel. Jude. Yeah. Or we can speak of the particular message that is preached throughout the New Testament. But it's become kind of a religious slogan that, that encapsulates just gospel about everything. Yeah, gospel music, gospel, everything this, the gospel sun. style. And, style, and that's not, or a culture, mm -hmm, and that's right. not helpful at all. And, and the key difference is the gospel in the New Testament, well, the Old Testament too, the gospel of the Bible is only strictly limited to the announcement of what God has done in Jesus Christ 
to save sinners. Right. Amen. Yeah. Right. Amen. Lots of really good stuff that the Bible teaches. It teaches a lot yeah. of wisdom, a lot yep. of morality, yep. a lot of ethics. It teaches us how we're to live as people who are in Christ and so forth. But that isn't the gospel. The gospel right. is an yeah. announcement of a very specific nature, like the announcement of, you know, victory in Europe. Right. I didn't yeah. contribute to that victory. And yet that victory makes all of the difference for me. Absolutely. I'm going to respond in certain ways to that news. I'm going to follow that news appropriately. It's going to make a difference in my life. But the difference it makes in my life is not the message, the announcement itself. Mm -hmm. Right. So we've got to distinguish them without losing them. But evangelicals tend to think if you distinguish them like that. Yeah. If you distinguish what we do from the gospel, what he has done, you're denying that we have any responsibility exactly. to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Rome said against the reformers. Yep. But we were actually the ones in the 16th century and down to the present day who affirmed justification and sanctification, whereas Rome denied justification by turning it into sanctification. Right. Well, in the more sophisticated way that this works its way into the, at least our side, is with all the focus on cultural transformation. Oh. Mm. You mm. used to be, well, we don't want to be Wesleyan holiness people and talk about individual perfectionism. Right. So let's just now focus on how we're going to transform the society Structures. around us. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If Christianity has to compete in the marketplace of spiritual therapies, then we're going to get things like this. Look, become a Christian so you can have your best life now. Become a Christian so you can solve your marriage Mm-hmm. Become a Christian, so that, you know, all the therapeutic things. Contrast that again with Paul's objective message where he says, you didn't hear me. I delivered to you this gospel that I received myself. And here's what it is. Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins and was raised on the third day bodily for our justification. Well, yes, Paul, but or, uh, perhaps that's true. But even if... It never happened historically. Mm-hmm. You've been born again. Mm-hmm. You have had this great experience. You have a, a touch per- of glory, a personal relationship with Jesus. You have your, your, you know, your life has been your best life now. And Paul would look at you and say, <laughs> "So you haven't read my biography?" <laughs> and then he would say, "No," and did say there in that same chapter, "No." Let me let me tell you. Let me tell you what the stakes are here. I don't care if it happened to help you with your family. I don't care if it happened to help you raise your positive kids in a negative world. None of this counts in favor of Christianity. If historically it is not the case that Jesus rose bodily from the dead because you are still in your sins. If you don't think that's the greatest problem, if you think the greatest problem is you're not as happy this week as you were last week, You're not going to get the problem that he came to solve. You're going to turn Christianity into therapy. And I'm here to tell you, Paul says, 
the alternative to Orthodox Christianity is not moralism, but eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And you among all people are most to be pitied. Yes. Mm -hmm. You've been taken in. You've been... You're dupes. You've been sold a bill of goods. How do you define the gospel? How is it being defined in your church and by your friends? We'll be back to continue this discussion after these messages. You're listening to the 30-minute podcast edition of The White Horse End. To begin receiving extended editions of every program, check out the support tab of our website, whitehorseinn.org. That's whitehorseinn.org. This is uh, Lordell Rush from South City, St. Louis, and uh, I listen to The White Horse Inn on podcasts. I became familiar with The White Horse Inn uh, personally when they came to St. Louis, and my uh, wife and my church family and I were under fundamentalism, and uh, we decided to do a replant, uh, focus on the gospel, and we began the journey of becoming Reformed in our theology. And We've been uh, studying Reformed theology for the last year, and all that is going on has been a great encouragement to me and my wife. Welcome back to the White Horse Inn, and we're talking about the precise definition of the gospel of Christ. So let's focus first on these definitions of the gospel that some of us were raised with, and then talk about some of the new replacements for them. Um, inviting Jesus into your heart. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is that anywhere in the New Testament? No. Did- what we have in the New Testament is, is the command to repent and believe. It's a command that God creates the power to obey the command through the gospel itself. Yes. So the word comes to us and it, it announces to us what God has done for us in Christ. That message alone is what God uses to create within our hearts the ability to respond to the command to repent, turn from our sin and believe, mm-hmm. trust the gospel. Exactly. I remember correct. as a kid asking my mom, how exactly does Jesus living in my heart save me? How, what exactly yeah. is the whole, mm-hmm. the fact that he's living in my heart, How? Wh- what's that a remedy for? Paul speaks of God's love poured up out of my heart in Christ, Romans. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there, there are places where that lo- kind of language is used. And Paul clearly teaches that the Spirit indwells us. And to sure. have the Spirit indwell us is to have Christ indwell us. Exactly. But the categories that Mike was talking about earlier are really the key ones that this gospel has to do with what happened to a particular Jewish man yes. during his whole mm-hmm. life, but particularly the last week of his life, yep. and what that objective historical stuff did, mm-hmm. yep. what what it accomplished given our natures. Right. Yep. That is, all of the focus is not on our doing. All of the focus mm-hmm. is on his mm-hmm. dying, bleeding, and dying. Right. All of it. Mm-hmm. And, right. in, and to bring in... What it will produce in my life is to foggy the yeah. the, the air. Yeah. Uh, it is the it Christ is, within. Right. Yeah. You want to keep everything. If the reformers were correct, 
you want to keep everything about the effects of the gospel exactly. separate from the question of the gospel itself. Absolutely. Yeah, we, I think we've confused the response to the gospel, which is, which is mm-hmm. embracing Christ by faith, as well as the result of the gospel, which is living sure. yeah, right. living in lives uh, in light of what we've been given. Yeah, when you're taught to invite Jesus into your heart, you're basically telling people, do you feel it? Yes. Mm-hmm. And... The message in the New Testament is not, do you feel it, is do you believe it? Yes. Yeah, there's a, yes. trust it. There's a yes. great line in the Westminster Confession uh, in its definition of justification says that we are justified not by anything done by us or even wrought it within us. Within yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Great. But phrase. solely for the sake of Christ and his righteousness, which is imputed to us. This is part of the problem, from my vantage point anyway, of, of trying to think through that experience of inviting Jesus into my heart. Basically, my righteousness was intrinsic. I was yeah, basing right. my whole right. salvation not sure. on Jesus outside of me doing yep. something for me, yep. but on the fact that I invited him to take up residence in my heart. And how exactly a, a bodily resurrection, bodily incarnation, and bodily second coming figure into that when he's already living yeah. in my heart? Yeah. When, when you know, you take your eyes off of Christ and you start putting it yep. on yep. another Jesus who yep. is inside of you. That's right. And that yeah. happens 100% of the time. Yeah. Which is, I think... We it, all do it. I, I think that is the the logical, logical extension of what Paul is warning against in Second Corinthians 11 when he talks about embracing another gospel and another Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, yeah. what does he mean by another Jesus? Not someone who is pretending to be Jesus, but receiving Jesus not on the terms that that's presented in the gospel, making of him yeah. something other than the the only begotten of God who has lived for our righteousness and died for well, our and he, sins. And he, prob- oh. he probably had in mind specifically docetists yes. uh, in 1 Corinthians, people who were actually denying the full humanity of yes. Christ. And that's part of my concern there with what right. I was saying. If Jesus is truly fully human then it's not the the Jesus in my heart who is spiritual. Mm-hmm. It is the the Jesus who is raised in glory everlasting yeah. in my human flesh at the right hand of the Father. Yes. That has yes. to be what people right. fix their hopes on. Yes. Um, what about making Jesus Savior and Lord? That's what I grew up on. Invite yeah. Jesus in your heart and make him your personal Lord and Savior. Yeah. When you press people on this, most of the time they will give you an orthodox answer. Well, it means that I'm trusting in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. Good. And and that's a good thing. But and the, that's la- a, the biblical category the, of repentance. Right. But the language here, personal Lord and Savior, is so extra biblical and so confusing, the term needs to be jettisoned and thrown yeah. out of the Christian vocabulary because it implies that I'm the only one that believes in Jesus. It's about my experience yeah. of Jesus. And it implies that something I do changes Christ's relationship toward me and others. Right. When, in fact, Jesus is Lord, yes. he mm-hmm. is Savior, whether I believe and trust in that or not. Exactly. That's the good news. That's yes. the good news, that yes. he is this. So you, you can believe in him precisely because exactly. you don't make him anything. Right. He is he this. Is. So that's why you can come to the sinner and say, God commands you to repent and believe. Because Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior. You can't do that if something you do makes him your Lord and makes him your Savior. It yeah. just muddies everything. So Christianity and the gospel that comes out of it, that forms the, the core of it, the, uh, is an out, has an outdoor God. Yes. Mm. 
he's an outdoorsman. He's mm. he is not a god who who likes to hang out in the inner recesses of closets and <laughs> pantries and kitchens. He's he's an outdoor god. Not and, to be confused with the one in the garden with yeah. <laughs> dew still on the roses. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> It's outside of us that he yes. creates us. It's Huge. outside of us that he yes. redeems us. It's outside Huge of point. And the tendency of pietism mm -hmm. is to turn this God who is outside of us, doing things for us in history, into yeah. an, an exclusively indoor God yes. yeah. who is saving because of the experiences and piety that he engenders within me. Yes. Yeah. And, and personal there doesn't mean i most people mean when they say personal relationship they're meaning you're not just believing in a set of creeds but you're sure. trusting in a real person yes it is it's, it's an attempt yes. to get away from the liberal idea that, that assent saves so mm -hmm. you you have to understand why people use that word personal lord and savior it's to say i'm trusting in a real personal jesus to save me mm -hmm. but it is so imprecise that it creates all of, and opens the door to all this other nonsense that in practice what that means is do i feel it yeah. Better to speak of personal faith in Christ. Right. Yes, sure. Right. But, you know, the, the sad thing is what, what, what you're talking about here is what has become the norm. And, you know, from very well-meaning and, and well-intentioned people, this is the language that, that we're, we're having to, to battle against in-house. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is I've made several references as an old man to evangelicalism post-World War II. And that language, at the best of American and British evangelicalism, was always there. Yeah. Mm. Always, even at the best of times, that business about your sure. personal yeah. embrace uh, as opposed to something that was cold and doctrinal. Yeah. Rod, so the, the problem's been there for a yeah. long yeah. time. The buses will wait for you, Rod. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another one that I think uh, a lot of people have heard is salvation is to have a personal relationship yeah. with God. Now, how exactly, is, first of all, is is that taught in the New Testament? No. Not as the gospel. Yeah. Again, this is, what what makes this so difficult to, to discuss is people will hear us arguing against something that actually is in the scriptures, but they have put something, they, they, they have a different meaning. Now, if what you mean by this is, what is the gospel? The gospel is the announcement of what God has done through Jesus Christ. What he has done is he has reconciled us. As you mentioned before, Mike, you already have a relationship that's, with God. Yes, yes that's so the, the point. The, the yeah. issue is, is that relationship according to the first Adam, whereby mm -hmm. God is now your judge? Yep. Or is it the exactly. second Adam, mm -hmm. where whereby you are now an heir of the yep. things of God, and yep. you are now a son you, of God. Luther, Luther used to contrast God is either the law giver or he is the law remover. Mm. And it was exactly what yeah. you're talking about, Ken. Yeah. yeah, Mike's question, and it's spot on, this is what I was raised in in, in my evangelical days, implies that God is out there in some deistic way until I do something. Right. When the Bible very clearly teaches that I, God created me, he knows me, he formed me in my mother's womb, he knows me intimately and personally already before I do anything. Yes. That's the biblical category. And I, he's either my judge or my yeah. heavenly father. And yes. the, the, the determining factor as to which is Christ. Yes. Yeah, well, and particularly Christ and his bleeding and dying. Yes. Exactly. Yes. That's why I when I when I heard this presented as the gospel growing up, it was often 
the bad news is the thing to avoid is being separated from God forever. And so salvation is having a personal relationship with him. And now, again, it's not that we deny a personal relationship with God, uh, but actually it's a misunderstanding of both the bad news and the good news. Most of my atheist friends I know really don't stay up at night worrying about being separated from God for all eternity if they have any kind of eternal existence, much to their surprise. Being separated from God throughout all eternity is kind of a continuation of what they have now, and they're fine mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. The, the real issue that you find in Scripture is whether God is present and has a relationship toward you as judge for all of eternity. Yeah. Not whether you're separated. There's no verse in the Bible that says that hell is separation from God. No. Hell is justice, where God is present. Yeah. Without a cross. Just as much as he is in heaven, yeah, I've only often, in justice and wrath. I've, I've often said the hellishness of hell is not the absence of God. It's the presence of God, Amen. but without a mediator. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. This is what you get yeah. as a sinner without yes. a mediator. Yes. Now, we turn to the pendulum swinging the other direction. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who were raised on all of those slogans I just threw out are now swinging to the other end and saying none of that had anything to do with embodiment, none of it had anything to do with creation, none of it had anything to do with the horizontal relationship. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Everything was me and my personal relationship with God. And so now their focus is the gospel is something we live, something uh-huh. we do. The gospel is making the world a whole. A, a whole place, a place where there's peace and justice. Yeah, yeah. let me just throw in there, that's one of the, the, the issues that's been raised uh, over the years historically uh, as it relates to the evangelizing of the American slaves or, or the African slaves here in the United States. When they were given the gospel, it was for the purpose of making them docile don't think about your present condition, <laughs> mm-hmm. because in heaven, you know, you'll be this and you'll gain that. I'll fly away with glory. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, as a result of that, many of the uh, radical critics uh, on, in, in uh, the black community over the years, including uh, Islam, Nation of Islam, they were critical of the civil rights movement and the religion represented by those uh, ministers uh, that were involved in the civil rights movement because they were saying that the the gospel, the, the quote-unquote the white man's gospel that they were passing on to the slaves and the, to the children of slaves had nothing to do with the here and now. Uh, so whether it was liberation theology on the one hand or the uh, the Reverend Ikes on the other hand talking about a very material gospel, it was in answer to that 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 extreme position of heaven is uh, that that Christianity Christianity is about the by and by and heaven and golden streets. But what about the here and now? Mm-hmm. So whether it was prosperity gospel or social gospel, it was really an answer to that other extreme. It was about your best life now, now. Yes. Well, and that that's what's interesting. You have it, whether you have it with the prosperity gospel or with the new social gospel, it is your best life now. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the biggest difference between the prosperity gospel and someone like Rob Bell or Brian McLaren mm-hmm. is the difference between I and we. Mm-hmm. But it's still... 
centered on us. Yeah. Yeah. It's still anthropocentric. The, yes. dif- yeah. the difference between the reaction to sloppy language, because I, I do think, and I, I want to be real clear about this, I do think in the invite Jesus into your heart, your personal Lord and Savior, there is, at the end of the day, more than likely, when you press people to be biblical, they're saying they're going to trust in what Jesus Forgiveness did. Forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin, sure. shed blood, and so on. And not denying, not being suspicious, not being nervous about the supernatural events required to get that salvation for you. When you go to the reaction, there's not only a reaction toward the the personal stuff with the stress on the corporate now, there's also nervousness about the the supernatural stuff required Absolutely. to save me from my sin. Yeah. So mm. you get people who are backpedaling about a bodily resurrection sure. because mm. do we really want to say that Jesus' bodily rose from the dead. Right. Can we really trust the New Testament? Mm-hmm. So you, you get or, this. Or Brian McLaren, for example, running Jesus and his community together to such an extent that he argues that the second coming actually occurred at Pentecost when mm. the church was sent out in Jesus' name. The church is the return of Christ. The church is yeah. basically, hmm. there, there's no gap here between the head and the body, yeah. mm-hmm. no D- gap between disaster. the already and the not yet. There's nothing yeah. supernatural. Hmm. Yeah, and now, of nothing. course, we're just completing and extending yeah. his work because, yeah. funnily enough, we are Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And just as there is some truth in some of the pietistic expressions, There's also some important truth in what the social gospel is saying when they Mm -hmm. say, well, the gospel is a lot broader than me and my personal salvation. It encompasses the whole of created reality where there is no suffering, no pain, no oppression, no injustice. And we we say, amen, 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 amen. Sure. But are you a Pelagian? Do you think that you bring this about, that we together bring this about? Or do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior? And he fulfilled the first part of that in his death on the cross and his resurrection and will complete it, will consummate it when he returns. The other thing is in situations like that where we acknowledge all the passages that have to do with it, the horizontal, the question is, are your children going to speak the language of the faith? Mm -hmm. Are you going to pass that on to them? They'll start from where you are right now. Now, in your own next generation, will they know what the faith is or not? Yeah. And in many cases, the answer is very clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The kids don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that on the, on the horizontal plane, uh, again, the, it's the response of the gospel. Having received the gospel message, it does have an impact on my interactions. But here's the thing. Even when I fall short, which I do on my horizontal duties, I'm not. That's not what disqualifies me because doing these things is not what qualifies. Right me. on. It's yeah. my embrace of the gospel message. Yeah, like I, Richard Stern's "The Hole in Our Gospel." Uh, there is a lot in in that book that I agree with, that I think is incumbent, that I, that I felt convicted by. But you feel convicted by the law, not the gospel. Yes, that's the problem. He titles it, The Hole in Our Gospel, and his point is, our gospel isn't big enough, and this is what you hear on all hands today. Very good things are put in the wrong drawer. That's the point. It's a category mistake. Yes, it's a category mistake. Yeah, the hole in our gospel, it's not a hole in our, I think we do have a hole in our gospel, but I probably would pick a different hole 
uh, than he might. Yeah. It's really a failure to know what the law or the gospel really require of us, or what the law requires of us and what the gospel really gives. What the gospel announces, yes. The gospel is an announcement. It is not in anybody by nature. You don't know it in your conscience. You don't walk up to somebody and say, hey, by the way, do you know the gospel? And they just, by nature, have always known the gospel. It has to be announced to people. And... Now what we see is a tendency to, as the law and the gospel get merged, for people to say, you know, really, Islam and Christianity and Buddhism, we're all kind of saying the same thing. And that's where you want to say, now, I want to hear you more on this when you say we're Mm -hmm. saying the same thing. My Mm -hmm. guess is everything that is now going to come out of your mouth is law. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because we are similar. Sure. In that. Because it's all in all our hearts. Yes. Every Muslim, every Jew, every Christian, every Buddhist has the law written on their hearts. And Immanuel Kant. Immanuel Kant said... The moral law within is the firmest thing that I can possibly believe. Yeah. And we, the Christian says, right, even the Christian believes in the law more than the gospel. Hmm. Because it's native. Yep. Sure. Yep. That's why we have to keep hearing the it's, gospel week yep, after because week. Because it ain't native. It's not that I didn't, uh, oh, you know what? I forgot that I shouldn't kill my neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I every week I forget that I yeah. just <laughs> Yes. 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 It's a good exactly. point. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Folks, there is no other gospel, but there are distortions of the gospel out there. It doesn't mean that everybody who distorts the gospel or twists the gospel doesn't believe the gospel, that they're heretics. But it does mean that it's very easy to distort the gospel And even to the point where it is no gospel at all and has no saving power, even though it has the outward form of godliness. Folks, it's the only power of God into salvation. If we distort the gospel, we not only lose the only hope we have of reconciliation with God and objective peace, but we also lose that subjective peace and experience and wonderful fruit of faith that only that gospel can produce. And so if we embrace the gospel, we get the whole world in the bargain. If we distort that gospel or surrender that gospel, then we lose it all. Very important to get the gospel right and to get the gospel out, and both of those concerns are held together in the Great Commission. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week on the White Horse Inn. And remember to go to our website, whitehorseinn.org, for all sorts of news and resources that you can pull down and and, uh, use and pass around so that we can help people understand what they believe and why they believe it. Look forward to being with you again next time on the White Horse Inn.